Michael is an expert in digital market and direct to consumers, strategy with incredible insights into the massive technology transformation that happened in the past years. When we went through GDPR, and I think everyone assumed that was going to be chaos, yeah, exactly. And actually, all that happened was we got rid of 30% of the customer database that we had who weren't interested in hearing us from us anyway. And our CRM output actually became a lot more effective. Because like it's so important for, you know, especially for us marketeers to understand that we cannot assume that every customer will have the same way of engaging with our brand. Data will actually lead us to the best strategy, the best way to move forward. They don't really understand the size of their CRM database. They're also gonna suddenly realize that they're losing a lot of customer data and losing a lot of efficiencies. And I know who I'm targeting, who I'm reaching, what they're doing, what the return on ad spend is. Hi everyone, I'm Mara Genovese here, founder and president of Emerging Power. Emerging Power is a fully integrated marketing powerhouse. And welcome to our Influencer Marketing Uncover podcast. Thank you so much for being with us in one more episode. Today, I'm very excited that we have with us here at our studio in London, Michael Dury. He's the head of marketing at Samsung Electronics in UK. Michael is an expert in digital marketing and direct to consumers strategy with incredible insights into the massive technology transformation that happened in the past years. He is also an innovative leader exploring new immersive technologies with his team. And we share with us today a lot of insights on the evolution of tech brands into this space, from live shop to voice search, AR and hybrid store experience to the rise of the Web 3.0 and much more. As my co-host today for the first time, and I thought it was not the first time, it's actually the first time, I have another expert on digital, is our head of media, Lucy Walker. Welcome, Lucy, finally I'm having you here. What a pleasure, Myra. Um, that's right, Mike is an absolute expert in everything digital marketing. Um, we're honestly very lucky to have him here to share more about his career journey um, and the learnings that led him to where he is today. Um, leading the marketing team for Samsung UK. So there's lots of interesting points for us to talk about and today. Um, so thank you very much for having me as your co-host and welcome, Mike. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I mainly came just to hear the introduction. I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't think I've ever heard Lucy say such nice things and obviously just hearing some of the, the stuff at the start there, it's always really nice to hear that. So thank you. And again, thank you so much for thank having me. Thank you so much, Michael. But tell me something, you both know each other for how long? Six or seven years? <laughs> we were only talking about this upstairs a moment ago and we've already forgotten, but yeah, something like that. I think that. six or seven years, we probably first met at our former agency um, and then it's been different life journey and different, everything new. And now we're here together. Exactly. So Funny how be, things work out. Yeah, exactly, so it'll be an easy conversation because you guys know each other, you can share a lot of uh, experience. Michael, thank you so much for being here with us. So before we start, tell us a little bit about you, about your career and what you've been up to at Samsung and uh, yeah, and then we can start our conversation. Cool, I will do. I'll try not to waffle on and rabbit on for too long. But um, in terms of the career, my career started in paid search actually. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left uni and went up to a grad day at London, very X Factor style, got put into Love different that. rooms, whether we got through to the next stage and stuff. You'd think I was joking, but I'm not. That is exactly how it happened. And that was at Razorfish at the time and sort of fell into the world of paid search, moved from Razorfish over to Havas, 
and then sort of gradually grew in between different agency groups as I moved over to Starcom and took more of a sort of biddable media kind of expertise rather than just focusing specifically on the paid search elements. Um, but I must admit, it's all sort of turned around quite quickly in 2018. So there was an opportunity to move over to Samsung um, to head up the performance marketing team there. It came maybe earlier than I was expecting it to. Um, but I thought, let's give it a go. Let's try it. I think I'm going to regret it if I don't give it a go and made the jump over. Um, and in the last five years or so, because that would have been five years ago in, in June now, um, the role has grown and evolved and Samsung has grown and evolved with it. So it's been really nice. It's gone from a performance marketing only role, looking after your, your biddable media, your programmatic channels, into a role that now encompasses CRM, data, ad tech, martech, uh, rewards and loyalty programs as well, more recently coming into the remit. Nice. Um, and yeah, so now here I am, head of marketing for D2C. Um, D2C is one of the fastest growing parts of Samsung and it's been a roller coaster, but it's been great fun. I love that you mentioned about D2C because, you know, with direct to consumer, we saw a massive shift during the pandemic, right? So if you think historically how consumer used to consume products, the first you know, access to brands will be through retail, right? And with the pandemic, everything changed, shifted. Now consumers, they get first the awareness and engage with the brand first online. And if you have a strong DTC, you can drive not just the sales, but also the loyalty of customers going to retail and then recognize that the brand that they're buying mm -hmm. online and then you can actually leverage sales from retail coming from the D2C. And in the past, it was the opposite. So you leverage D2C first from retail. And now has things has been changed. Is that the case for Samsung as well? It's complicated because so <clears throat> Samsung.com has been transactional since 2015. So it's actually not that old yeah. as a D2C organization. And when I joined... The business was very much our customers were our retailers they're our operators they weren't end users of our products um and actually you're right the pandemic obviously completely changed that mindset i still remember one of the first zoom calls i was on when we were all sent home where i remember someone in the background who didn't really know who we were as a team and said we need to take digital and data and d2c more seriously now like, and i was there going yes, yes. This, is, this is what we've been trying to say for a while and it was great that we were in a position where we could make the most of that opportunity um in that time I think at the start of the pandemic, our DTC business was about four or five percent share of revenue for Samsung, okay. so relatively small. By the end of 2021, we were at 10 percent share of business. As of Q1 results that came in last week, we we're at about 14.5, 14.6%. Mm -hmm. So the growth is rapid. And I think that shows that actually not only have consumer behaviors changed because it changed during the pandemic, yeah. but they've continued to change after we've gone back to a sort of semblance of normality yeah. after after we've come out of the last lockdown, which probably was a couple of years ago now. I can't even remember. Um, but you're right. It, it does create that dichotomy of those hybrid experiences. And actually, what's interesting, I think, even reading some of the questions before we came onto this podcast, talking about hybrid experiences, for a lot of people, that could mean online to offline. But within Samsung, it also means DTC to retail, exactly as you said. It, it also means and we'll probably get on to AI later on, it could even mean human to machine. These hybrid experiences happen in every single engagement that customers have with Samsung. But for the customer, it's one Samsung. They don't think about the organizational no, silos the that we have. And back to the very first question. Yeah, absolutely. There's now such a fluidity between D2C, D2C retail, online retail. to offline, human to machine. 
that that then creates its own challenges itself, but it does allow us as a DTC team to fundamentally drive forward the business in a way that we wouldn't have maybe done before. And what's the secret for a successful DTC channel? Ooh. Is there any... <laughs> Oh, what is the because secret? I'm asking this because like as we work with, you know, so many uh, different type of brands from different industry. And, and again, since the pandemic, every brand realized the mm -hmm. importance of the D2C channel. But it's not a channel that it's an easy one for you to succeed at. Right. Mm -hmm. So performance campaign yeah, is not something that everyone knows how to do it and how to engage and how to drive not just you know the traffic but also the revenue the sales mm -hmm. and that's the reason i asked this question because like brands they're still trying to understand okay how do we actually create a successful dtc and there's no formula i would believe so but if if you can share your experience mm -hmm. as you said that's yeah. been a holocaust what have you learned throughout your experience of trying to create you know a performance D2C channel for Samsung? Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing that springs to mind when you ask the question is that all parts of the organization, or at least part of the D2C organization, need to be pulling in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I think we were able to grow from, you know, four or 5% to 10% so quickly was, yes, obviously accelerated by the pandemic and retail being shut, but we were in a position where we had a market-leading proposition. So our D2C development team and our mm -hmm. commercial teams very much were driving forward the agenda to have best-in-class trade-in uh, price promise because that addressed the fact that people yeah. often think buying D2C is more expensive. So therefore, let's give them a price promise reassurance that convinces them that it's not. And I'm not going to go through all the list of propositions that we have on our website. But first and foremost, it's born out of what your proposition is. Because you can go out to market, you can throw money behind advertising, you can send as many emails as you want. Fundamentally, if what you're saying isn't going to stack up to the alternative, i.e. the retail channels, then customers are going to know that they're going to see right through it so first of all you need to think about it that way I think secondary to that if everyone is pulling in the same direction that's great but that needs to be born out of data and a view of the customer first I know they're both cliches and but, that's but they're very much true right I think that's exactly it we we've acknowledged that a lot of our growth initially came from flash sales promotional campaigns not very much premium behavior for someone like Samsung, but it drove the number and yeah, therefore the number, we were doing yeah. a lot more of it. And actually we realized very quickly that when you reach a certain threshold, whatever that threshold is, it will be different by business. For us, that was about the 10% mark because 10% meant you are one of the top three biggest sales channels mm -hmm. that the business has, right? You're fundamentally probably second in most categories, but as a blended overall, you're, you're third and 10% therefore stood for something. It meant now what D2C does, the business does. So you're then fully embedded into a more sustainable growth model. So for instance, profitability becomes very much an issue of every single person into D2C a lot more than it did when we were on a growth trajectory. And you're then building customer propositions that we can go to market much quicker than our retail partners can. So if we're um, monitoring the feedback that we get through uh, consumer surveys, through NPS, through Qualtrics, you take all of that feedback and you go, okay, here is a customer pain point. That's a Samsung customer pain point. We as D2C have that data. We are owning that relationship with the customer. Let's fix it. Let's feed that back into the proposition that we're developing. And it becomes a self-fulfilling cycle. And then obviously, your mechanics of a good marketing team, a good on-site um, output and an e-commerce experience underpin that. But I think it starts higher up. It starts with the proposition. It starts with using the data and understanding the customer. 
And I love the fact that you mentioned about the experience because at the end of the day, I think we need to remind that even if it's, you know, a DTC, we still needed to provide the best experience because you wanted, you know, our customers to stay onto a website and have the whole journey, but how to create an experience that is going to be, you know, the journey is not going to be as complicated because if we think about in the past, when you used to go and buy online, it was very complicated, the true journey until we get to the basket and get to the payment. Today, it's much easier. So I think it's the importance of thinking, okay, how can I create the best experience? And when you translate that to a hybrid experience that they can feel the same experience online and offline. And then talking about page, right? Because we have D2C, but you mentioned about marketing. We have another, you know, incredible, <laughs> you know, lady here that understand everything about performance campaign and paid. What is the importance of the of the paid strategy to have a successful DTC? What is the the link? I'm gonna go for this one. Yeah. I think I've been talking for too long. As it says, <laughs> like Mike was saying from the start, consumer data and understanding your audience is absolutely crucial. And I think Samsung is very lucky because of all the years of data. When you get a new phone, you have to sign up for an account. There's a lot of DTCs out there that don't have that fortunate experience. And I think it's also from a price point perspective. You don't just have mobile phones. You've got everything for the household available from Samsung. And there's probably going to be some nuances across that that we really need to think about and tailor. Uh, but for me, it always starts with the audience. And then, but then we start with the audience, yes, and we have the data, but then how effective and quick with the paid can that support to drive the traffic to the D2C is due to, because we talk here a lot about like the, the importance of looking into the creative that we have, understand yeah. how, you know, consumers are engaging with your content on the page. So is a D2C can serve, not survive, can be successful <laughs> without having a paid element or? Well, that's the thing. Is there a magic answer? Yes. <laughs> Mike, well, do you have a magic answer for everyone? I, I would suggest from our perspective, we wouldn't survive without a paid without paid. strategy. Okay, I think that's, so that's, that's, that's fundamentally a response. clear. Yes, because like the investment, it's because you're always measuring the investments, right? So if I'm investing paid, what is the return I'm getting when it comes to profitability on D2C? Exactly. But one thing is linked to another, right? Exactly. I think it's the quickest way you can get your new message out to the right audience groups yeah. that you want to target. So say you change your proposition or you have a new offer or you launch a new phone, the quickest way to get that out fundamentally is going to be through paid advertising. The reality that we've gone through a lot over the last couple of years is it's really difficult to find the right balance between how much of that goes into awareness and reach marketing versus how much goes into performance marketing. And that's obviously where my background very much lies is, is okay, I can measure this, I can turn this on today, or I can change this tomorrow and I can see immediately what the results are gonna be. And I know who I'm targeting, who I'm reaching, what they're doing, what the return on ad spend is, as you say. But actually it's so much broader than that because an organization like Samsung, it probably won't surprise you to know we have a media team who sit very separate from a performance marketing team. And we have broader marketers who are ultimately tasked with launching products or raising awareness of them. And then we, at the end of the funnel, are there to capture that demand. And the only way it works is if you work hand in glove. Oh, 100%. And fundamentally, building those relationships with the different parts of the business to be able to have, again, another cliche, more of that full funnel marketing approach is the only way that paid actually works as effectively as it can do. Now, one of the more important things that we've been trying to work out more recently is, is how you develop a strategy that is so intrinsically linked between paid, owned, 
you could go as far as to say earned as well, but I'm not going to claim that's within yes. my remit. But if we look at the paid channels and then if you look at what you have within CRM, the two need to work together. Absolutely. There's, there's a role where you can identify that there are certain cohorts of audiences who aren't opening your emails. Therefore, it's much easier to find them through paid channels. We can identify someone who has a Samsung phone but who isn't opening an email quite easily. And it might not be that they don't want to hear from us because they're not opening emails. It's not it's just not their mode of choice for how they receive media, how they consume media and content. And it's a great point because like it's so important for, you know, especially for us marketeers to understand that we cannot assume that every customer will have the same way of engaging with our brand. Then mm -hmm. the data comes, right? Because I can be engaging with email, but Lucy can be a customer that can be engaged more through SMS and you can be through social media influencer. So I think it's understanding data and understand like customer behavior and how they are actually, you know, engaging with your brand and tailor your strategy to, you know, a different types of consumers behavior. I think it's, it's definitely a, a key element. Yeah, absolutely. I think the engagement points are a really interesting one because when I joined Samsung, we had a ton of propensity models that yeah, would tell us if someone is in market, if they think they're going to buy it. And when you look under the hood of actually what feeds into them, a lot of the time it's, do they just buy a phone every two years? And you go, okay, that's fine. That's a behavior that we can track. And as Lee said earlier, we have Samsung account data that we can track on them and therefore we know what they're doing, what products they're registering, etc. But actually where you really increase the output of those models is where you start to then bring in whether it's engagement data, whether it's third-party data, whether it's in-market data that you get from the likes of Google or Facebook or other social platforms, and feed them together to basically create something that is bespoke to Samsung. Not just are they in market to buy a yes. product that we sell, but actually are they in market to buy a product from us? And if so, what product is it? And what's their preferred channel of choice? Is it through D2C, is it not? And all of these things are continually evolving and improving it's over like time. It's like a personalization approach, right? Because there's another element, the Definitely. personalization, right? Yeah. But I think that also leads into cookie-less future. Like that is the topic that we talk about every single day. And most brands aren't ready. Do you think Samsung are actually ready for it? Like all the prep that's going into it, we know it's coming, it's not going to go away. It's dangerous if I say yes and then we look back at this. <laughs> and we'll be in watching. A year's time. Um, are we ready if it was to happen today? Probably not, but am I confident that we'll be ready by the time it does? Yes, I think so. I think there was a lot of nervousness within the business when we went through GDPR. And I think everyone assumed that was going to be. Chaos, yeah, exactly. And actually, all that happened was we got rid of 30% of the customer database that we had who weren't interested in from hearing from us anyway. And our CRM output actually became a lot more effective. Admittedly, relatively small downturn in the short term where commercial sales teams are asking why the output has dropped. But then over time, it's grown back up and it's now a lot more effective and efficient than it ever was. And I don't see that being any different for cookie lists. I think it, it forces us to think about things differently, but I do think it will cleanse the industry that we're in. And I think it will make us a lot more customer centric in the way that we are talking with our consumers. It forces you to develop a first party data strategy. Everyone has a first party data strategy, but is it strong enough? Are they collecting zero party data? Are they identifying from the first party data sets that they've got how they can bring them all together? Customer service through CRM, through website, through e-commerce, they're all in lots of organizations, certainly in Samsung, they're different first party data sets, but how you connect them together then actually replaces the need to a degree for a cookie. Um, there's other things that we're also looking at. So 
I mean, when I joined Samsung, I don't think I knew what second party data was. I'd be lying if I said in my <laughs> yes. interview that I did. And more recently, we've been looking at how we develop a strategy around that. And I think two years ago, we onboarded a partner called Infosum who allow us to probabilistically, I knew I was going to struggle with that word, match our data with other partners. And then you can start to extend your customer strategy in, into other parts of the world. And, and all it then forces you to do is think more about your measurement on the bits that you can't measure, the bits that are outside of those areas. But no, I think... I think we'll be okay, but touch we'll be wood. watching, right? Touch wood. You see, we'll see. To be honest, I think on the day today, the conversations that we have, so many people don't understand it still, particularly when they're just launching a D2C now. But when you're a more established brand, they're kind of like, yeah, we've got first party data, but they don't really get how it's going to affect them. But also they don't really understand the size of their CRM database. So are they actually putting enough work into capturing that data? Is probably questionable. I think there's probably going to be a mad rush, but they're also going to suddenly realize that they're losing a lot of customer data and losing a lot of efficiencies. And they're going to have to be innovative if they want to stand out, particularly with a lot of our brands we work with. No, 100%. And talk about innovation. Let's talk about AI and chat GPT. <laughs> is it Samsung? Yes, <laughs> Samsung is, 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 is in going to that... Uh, AI direction, tell us your thoughts about ChatGPT. I know it's a very early days, right? To talk about where this is going to take us, especially both sides, custom, customer and mm -hmm. as, a, as a brand side. We were at South by Southwest uh, last month. And of course, as you can imagine, everything about South by Southwest was ChatGPT and AI. But I left the festival still with a lot of questions that were not actually answered because it's still no one has the right answer <laughs> to give to us right now of how this is going to evolve. And then again, where this the future is going to hold us. But we'd love to understand, like from your perspective, especially working for a brand like Samsung, that you guys are always thinking ahead, right? Especially as you're talking about data, probably we're looking into the data now and understand like with the customer, because I think with innovation, from my perspective, it's not just about, you know, think innovation, but understanding if your customer is ready for the next innovation, because there's no point for brands to actually go into metaverse or NFT if your customer is not yet ready to actually engage with your brand there. That doesn't mean you cannot test and learn, but it's important the data will guide you through. So tell us about AI for Samsung and your thoughts on ChatGPT because I love to hear different opinions and different views. I was going to say, where to begin? I, well, first of all, I'm not an expert on it, but I have certainly spent more time than I probably should have done this year listening to podcasts, watching YouTube yes. clips, um, mainly because I just find it fascinating. Um, I think you made a point there about how it's changing so quickly. I think we almost need to timestamp this conversation today because it will be out of date in a week's time, right? Exactly. It's, it, the rate of change is so quick. There's hundreds of new tools that are released every single week, it seems, or at least so my LinkedIn feed tells me if that is true, um, which I'm sure it is. But um, there are a couple of quotes that stood out when I've been listening to podcasts or leading, uh, reading blog posts, for instance. And I think there's a couple that really, really do sum it up for me. So the first one is, around whether AI will steal our jobs or not. So there's a famous quote that says, AI won't steal our Very jobs, but someone yeah. who's using it probably will. There are different versions of that quote as well, but I think that's the one that stands out to me because it feels tangible to now. And I think it summarizes the sort of polarizing opinion of it where you've got people who understand the pros and cons of it, but naturally some of us skew towards I'm excited by it and others skew towards I'm a bit scared by it. And I think the second one is around this sort of sentiment that the age of AI has now begun, when actually it hasn't. 
it's been here for so long right it's it's not new well obviously there's this almost like watershed moment that it feels like the last six months has been but it's not that new at all we've we've all been using ai in our jobs whether it's bit optimization technology whether it's um in our personal lives whether it's autocomplete when you send a text message like these are versions of ai right so none none of this is necessarily uh a completely new technology that didn't exist before, but actually now the use cases are starting to come through. And I think back to with 4G, for instance, there was clearly an excitement about it, sort of similar, if I can remember correctly, to what we have now, but actually it wasn't until the use cases come out that you start to go, okay, now I understand it. You know, whether it's your Airbnbs, your Ubers, I think they're the classic examples, but there's plenty, many others. Yeah. And we're at that point now where I think everyone is starting to understand the use cases to a degree of AI. So within Samsung, I chat to someone the other day in the kitchen who's talking about, oh, did you know you can now set up a plugin with Expedia that means you can ask ChatGBT to book your holiday, right? Can People are starting to apparently say. <laughs> Can't wait for that. You can ask AI to summarize an email for you and put it into a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, I'll wait for the first one of those I get because I'll immediately be able to tell my team have been uh, making shortcuts on their, their output. but. There's all these examples, I think, that people start to look at it and go, well, okay, now I understand where this is going. But I wouldn't say we're necessarily using it above and beyond what we're used to yet. Like, we're not using it to, you know, write social posts or email copy or text ads. We're not necessarily using it to develop all of our creative. I think our legal team would have a fit if we went down that route yet. I think we need to wait for these use cases to to grow and expand and there was a, a digital trends report that we did at the start of the year that it's always quite a nervous time to do it because you look at it and you go, well, is this a flash is in the pan? In the is pan? this another NFT? Is it something else? And we, we put the wording really quite um, vague and we said that this year AI will become a lot more used, accepted and trusted. And I quite liked looking back at that phrase because I went, okay, well, the first one is happening now. People are understanding the yeah, use yeah, cases, yeah. but it's not yet accepted fully. I don't think it's yet trusted. I think Samsung got caught up in a news story. I think it was in Korea. It certainly wasn't in the UK. So it wasn't our team who were in trouble with it, but they were using ChatGPT to write code. And then that effectively is open source information that, that there are these nervousnesses around it. And whether or not AI fundamentally does become the next biggest thing to change civilization, I think just depends on how quickly those use cases are realized, but also how quickly some of the potential downfalls of it are either squashed, covered, prevented, and what those downfalls are. Is it, you mentioned something about like, there's a question about like, oh, people will like lose their jobs now because they charge GPT, they you do. And then again, a quote from, from South by Southwest, I saw um, a talk from the CMO of Reddit, the, you know, the platform uh, of community platform. And someone asked in the audience to her saying, do you think Reddit will exist in the next year or so? Because now with ChatGPT, we don't need to go to Reddit to engage with the community to get your answers because you have ChatGPT that you can just ask ChatGPT and AI will give you a response. And then she said something that for me is still with my mind because she responded back to that person saying, where do you think ChatGPT is getting the answers from? <laughs> which true. is reddit and i love it because i was just like yes because it's still the chat gpt need to take the information of the answer that they're giving to us from 
somewhere, right? And then she said, just think about it, because Reddit is a massive platform with a forum that people are asking and engaging with questions and answers. And we have over, you know, 100,000 of communities in Reddit. So ChatGPT is using us to help them to give the answer. And it's true because sometimes we think, oh, ChatGPT will like the AI and, you know, it will take, you know, all our human, you know, uh, our works or, but it's actually, it's not that extreme as we are kind of creating in our minds. It's just about like waiting not and yet. see. <laughs> yeah, not, not yet, but do you think it's going to, what's your thoughts? Because I'm still a little bit skeptical of like, is this actually going to take over? our lives and I don't think it will we replace the human resource I well it always comes back to authenticity and reliability and we want yeah. credibility we've been talking about that for years if they're relying on reddit that's where we get a lot of our authenticity yeah. is it going to change probably not we're still going to crave the authenticity and credibility right I'd agree okay I'd agree. I think if you draw similarities to take it back to the previous questions around DTC when we went into lockdown, everyone was like, oh, surely 100% of interactions are now online. That's a very basic example of going, are 100% of interactions going to go to AI? And actually what we saw was, yes, there was an acceleration of it. There was an acceleration. But also, it, then went, it was almost like elastic. It went back a little bit to where it was before. And I think that showed me that people still crave human interactions. No, they still crave authenticity, uh, as Lucy exactly, puts it. No, 100%. I think it's... And to your example, with the pandemic, we saw, like, did you see, like, woof, growing yeah. completely because that was the only way we could have access to, mm -hmm. to products and service and brands. Exactly. But now we've, we are back to normal. Sometimes I keep reminding <laughs> myself, have you actually been through a pandemic? Because it looks like that never happened because everything's back to normal. However, that's that's my point of view. Even like, but the, that the customer behave change in a way of now they still craving for the human interaction. That's why retail is it's coming back big big time. However, the way they want to experience the human connection are different from before a pandemic. Very so true. that is so important when we think about experience and do the hybrid element that we mentioned about online and offline. Like customers now, okay, if they wanted to spend time or engage with a brand and experience, you have to provide something that is very, very unique. Mm -hmm. So I think for, for the way I see it, that the shift that the pandemic brought to us is, okay, I still crave that human connection, but I wanted to have a very unique experience for me to leave home, to actually go to a place to actually yeah. experience a brand. Do you see that as well with the customers from Samsung, the way they wanted to experience the brand change from before? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's it's a difficult one because we don't have a lot of bricks and mortar stores. Yeah. Um, we have a showcase in King's Cross, which if you haven't been, it's lovely. I would definitely recommend going. It's a great day out. Um, that wasn't a sales pitch. I don't know why I did that. Um, <laughs> and we have experience stores, but then a lot of our actual interactions with our consumers are in retail. And we don't own that experience a lot of the time. So for us, it was more a case of, well, how do we bring those experiences into the online world? When the pandemic hit, there was a whole host of new customers and consumers coming into the online experience who hadn't done it before. And you had yeah. to adapt quite quickly, whether it was quickly fixing our live video chat support, whether it was improving yeah, the checkout journey. Yes. All of that. I mean, it's weird talking about it now. It feels it's like it's 10 years ago, right? That's, that's for me sometimes. Um, like, uh, but actually, but, it was two years ago. <laughs> it was. But I think that shows the rate of change, right? And yeah, that's yeah. why 
again, sorry to bring it back full circle to the AI conversation, I think it's really interesting to look at it and go, well, actually, certainly in the sh mid to short term, we know there's still that craving for human experiences, community, et cetera. But how can AI enhance those experiences? How can AI create an online world where you're replicating the offline world through personalized recommendations through, you know, an experience that is more unique to you or inversely, how can we use it to make our digital advertising relevant to what you've done in the offline world? So have you just walked past a store and then receive a timely relevant message that says, okay, we know that you're in the vicinity, pop in or whatever it is. And, and that interaction between the two, I think is only going to be underpinned by developments in AI. So it's a space to keep an eye on, I think, for sure. Yeah, no, of course, like we think to like, we need to think positively about, you know, the, the change and the innovation that's coming in a way. But I always remember that at the end of the day, we're engaging with human beings and we still need to have that authenticity that we mentioned. And we're still craving that, you know, relationship face to face. But how are we going to use AI to enhance in that, as you said, I think is going to be very important. I'm sure there's an episode of Black Mirror about Oh that. my God, yeah. But you know, like, so now and then, have you seen Black Mirror? Yeah. Yes. So now and then, because I saw Black Mirror, like, I think three or four years ago, it was before pandemic, and it, it felt so surreal, like, oh, what are they talking <laughs> so about? Yes. But now, sometimes, something that, ha like, especially with the chat GPT and AI, it gets me back to some of the episodes and I go like, oh my God, Black Mirror knew it everything even before <laughs> it all started. Do you feel that as yeah. well? But it's sometimes you just, as you're saying, you, you crave human interaction and you're like, okay, I'm trying to chase my parcel of my order. Yeah. You're not ever talking to a person, you're talking to a robot. And you're just like, okay, if I can be talking to a robot, when else am I thinking I'm talking to a person and it's something else and something else is like, the end result is gonna be something different. like. Yes, no, it, it's, you know, I love all this, you know, change and innovation. Yeah. I'm always curious to know what it's mm -hmm. next. But I think it's, it's your point. AI is not a new thing. It's just like how this has mm -hmm. been evolved from, as you mentioned, to where we are today. And how, we'll be, how are you guys using it? If I can throw the question back at you, Aeth, what's the, the agency plan for using AI? We are like at the time we, we have now a, a department that calls innovation and growth. So we are much more in the, in the momentum of like really understand how this will contribute to, to brands and how can we use in a way that is going to leverage the experience that we're going to create to our customers, but also go back to data, right? Because I do believe that to your both points, that data will tell us what we need to do with AI because we need to understand our customers and you know how they are consuming the products, how they are engaging with the brands, and understand like how can AI, you know, added value to what we're gonna create on our marketing campaign. So we haven't yet there, but we are. Yeah, we have so much yeah, data, and as you were exactly. saying earlier, Mike, like we've got paid data, owned data, and earned. So it's like, how does all that data fit together? Where are those predictive learnings? How do we get efficiencies? Like all of that is coming, but there's just so much to work through. There's so much to work through. But working wise, if you think like the team on social media is they're using for captions or using for research, sometimes they are, but it's all about experiencing now uh, and understand how can we make the most of it in a positive way, right? I agree. Uh, Paid Lucy, question for you, because uh, I think like it's, uh, as we mentioned, like I talk about Samsung and paid and D2C and AI 
and innovation, what are the chains that can impact on paid strategy? God. Is there anything that you're forcing that will have to change the way we think strategically when it comes to paid social, paid advertising, SEO? To be honest with you, at the moment, it's all about test and learn. I okay. think we have to test and learn and accept that we sometimes need to fail fast. If something's not working, switch it off, change it, because we don't know sometimes how people are going to react. We don't know how platforms are going to react. We know a lot of platforms, they have their own algorithms, their own AI internally, and like even Microsoft is having AI advertising. Is it going to work how we expect and what we're used to? I think we're really going to have to grill the numbers and the data and again, really make sure that the data is working. If we don't see our ROAS targets, we've got to switch off and adapt and move on. And I, I guess, Mike, from a fail fast perspective or very kind of stringent test and learn hypothesis, like what do you think <laughs> is going to be the angle? Oh, my job is to make sure no one knows when we fail yeah. fast <laughs> or, or spot it before <laughs> they do. Yeah. Um, and I sort of said that as a joke, but it's sort of true mm -hmm. as well, right? I think mm -hmm. you need to empower the team that you work with, the agency partners that we have to have that feeling that they can do yeah. that. Yeah. Because if they don't have that, they're gonna be too nervous. They're gonna play safe and we're never gonna win. You're never gonna, if you don't take risks, you're never no, gonna you grow. Have to take and, risk. you're, and you're not gonna see the trajectory that we're on because the people you're competing against are taking those risks. So yeah, I completely agree. I think we, fundamentally you need to know the amount of inputs that are required to make it successful in the first place because i think we've all done a lot of testing that we now know okay if i took a couple of inputs into this it's probably not going to work as well as it could do but if i give it everything that i've got and i know all the different data sources that i have then actually a lot of the time it does work and therefore it mitigates that risk of failing fast but yeah there is always those and you just need to make sure that a you don't get in trouble and b no one internally finds out <laughs> So at the end of the day, it's all about data, right? Yeah. So I think that's the conclusion after this conversation, that data will actually lead us to the best strategy, the best way to move forward, right? Agreed. Um, I think we need to fly. I have the team there saying, it's time to say goodbye, because sometimes <laughs> we can stay here forever, especially when we have those deep conversations that is so... You know, I, I myself can learn a lot from the podcast when I have guests like you, Mike, and co-hosts like you, Lucy. So, Mike... What's the future holding for, not just for Samsung, but overall, how do you foresee? But when I talk about the future, I don't talk about six months. Like, how do we see where we're going to be when it comes to customers' experience, ways of engaging? And I'm talking about social media, AI, influencer marketing, paid, metaverse, NFT, put it all together, Web3.0. How do you see it the future looking like so i think it's an interesting it's gonna be an interesting year because it's the first year where we're probably back to norm, normalcy or normality yes, is probably so the true. word i mean after the pandemic and you've got this complete unknown the rate of change that's coming through all the stuff that we've already spoken about and actually realities we don't know because you're going back to a period of stability and we all feel that we're relatively comfortable we know what the year's going to look like but it's not it's going to be very different next week. It's going to be different in two months' time. And actually, day. the future, and it's probably a rubbish way of answering your question, but the future reality is it's going to be defined by those who are keeping up to date with those trends, who are adopting new experiences, who are fundamentally using the data, thinking of the customer to develop those use cases through AI, as we've already said, and actually develop that customer-first platform upon which this new world can live. 
Um, and whether that's this year or next year, I don't really know, but the rate of change at the moment suggests that it could easily be this year. It could be the latter half of this year and we need to be testing and at the forefront of that innovation, otherwise you're gonna fall behind. So true. And then to your point, everything changed so, so fast, right? Because we're not talking about changing every month, we're talking about change that happen every single day and how can we adapt to that change and act it quick you know, in order to understand the change that we need to make, not just for a brand, but to, like to serve our customer in the best way possible and create the best experience to engage and getting the awareness and the profitability. But it's a it's a fast paced. Exactly. That. Right. Yeah, it's exciting. It's very. No, I love it. You know, for me, it's just like, you know, to, to see that so much ha can happen in a week time and how much mm -hmm. we can innovate. And, and generate, you know, new experience and new ways of, you know, doing our strategy. I think it's a, it's very exciting. We have to go. Yep. So Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation. Lucy, hope you enjoyed your first, uh, you know, participation in yep. our podcast as my co-host. We're going to do more of that for sure. And thank you to everyone that has been listening to us today. I hope you find it very interesting our conversation. And again, thank you so much for being with us, for tuning in in every episode. If you're not following us yet, please do so on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and of course, YouTube. So I see you on next episode. And thank you so much again, both of you, for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you.